0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org.
1: Perhaps we need some outside universal threat. The scientist, the writer, the artist is challenged. If we were facing
0: an alien threat from outside this world. The challenge must be taken up. And yet I ask you.
1: Is not an alien force already among us?
0: I got nothing going on. You got nothing going on. I need something to do. We need something to do. You should know by now that Ben and Bugatti, he's a member of the Pribaluminati. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, where we love our institutions so much we have to burn them down. You can talk back at us on our Facebook page, Twitter, or our website, sectarianreviewpodcast.com. And whether you love to hate us or hate to love us, please go to iTunes and review the show. That helps other people find us. Now sit back and enjoy. If you wanna be a slave to technology, do whatever that you like, do whatever, You left. No. Sense of you. Well, you're joining us today because there is no decency in the world. Uh, today is a quickie little episode. Uh, we are going to be I've joined by Nathan Gilmore again, my uh, good friend and the uh, progenitor of the uh, Christian humanist podcast. Uh, and I beg Nathan to come on my show for a quickie episode. A reactionary takedown of this new website called Verit. If you've not, if you're unfamiliar with Verit.com, it is one of the strangest things I think to come out of the Trump presidency, uh, and, and that's saying a lot. I, that's a big statement. <laughs> um, but Nathan, uh, welcome. You, before we get to the topic, I want to welcome Nathan properly. How's it going, man?
1: It's going pretty well. We are with our weird uh, early calendar. We're coming up on midterm here at Emanuel as, you know, everyone else gets into what, week three. (laughs) Uh, So... You know, I'm, I'm neck deep in papers, but uh, when you said, you know, you want to talk about this weirdness that is Barrett, I said, oh, I got to get on for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we're only in like week four. So, yeah, we still have quite a ways to go. But um, I'm glad that you took the time for this. This thing has been driving me crazy. I have to say, I've been <laughs> yanking people into my office, pointing at my computer, th- waving my hands in the air at this website. Um, and I am loath to get involved in politics in the classroom. I almost never bring up contemporary politics uh, even in my rhetoric classes. Uh, but I, there's no way I can avoid bringing this into class. And so I've brought it into <laughs> almost every class I've taught, including my Kafka class. Uh, and I think it actually works in weird ways, but yeah. Nice. Uh, so yes, uh, I, uh, this has been like an obsession of mine for the last two weeks. And uh, I wanted to get this out there as a little quickie episode. Um, For a little background before we get started, uh, and I I kind of conceived this as like a rhetorical analysis, uh, with me with somebody the person who I know that knows the most about rhetoric, I think, is Nathan Gilmore, (laughs) and so uh, I want that's another reason I wanted him on the show. But the uh, the the website itself is the brainchild of a kind of a Hillary Clinton fanboy, to put it uh, mildly, is a guy named
1: and staffer, wasn't he?
0: He apparently. Uh, ran. I am. My understanding is he ran her two thousand eight campaign. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is which is how I. Uh When doing some background research. So he did sort of work for her. He is someone who is in that kind of DNC uh, all star circle of the. the Right. So, I mean,
1: this isn't incredible. I mean, this guy was on the payroll.
0: Yeah. Well, but it's incredible that he keeps getting work, right? Because, like, (laughs) how any of them keep getting work? I mean, they get rewarded for losing and losing and losing elections, right? All over the country. And they just get better and better, better jobs out of it. Peter Dow is one of these guys, and it's spelled D A. OU. And Peter Dow is so he's a a unrepentant Hillary fanboy and and sycophant. And uh, he designed this website uh, about that. We'll talk about the background, the exigence of this situation to use a rhetorical term uh, Mm -hmm. in a little bit. But the website to me is a reaction against both uh, mostly, I think, left-wing criticism of Hillary Clinton. I think that despite its uh, some of its claims, I think it's actually trying to uh make moral claims for Clinton as a member of the left. And I think that uh, that's something that's an interesting aspect of this. Dow himself is also, weirdly, I, I found in doing some research, the nephew of Erica Jong, who wrote um <laughs> The Joy of Flying, which is a sort of famous, like, weird 70s sex book uh, right and yeah. uh, and he's got a very strange uh, back a relationship I mean that book is a strange book and he's got a strange relationship with his aunt in that book uh, there's an article I found a, a, that details some of this that I will put in the show notes for the show uh, it's definitely worth five minutes of your read just to get the <laughs> sense of the weirdness that is Peter Dow that finds its way into the DNA of verit.com uh, and that's spelled for some reason V-E-R R-R-I-T dot com. I'm not really sure where they came up with the spelling decisions there, but
1: I I think it's supposed to be a uh, a structural parallel to Reddit.
0: Ah, verit. Okay, I was that makes some sense then. Okay, (laughs) because I I feel like there should be two Ts or one R and or maybe both. And there's neither because I I took it as like a shortened version of verify it, and so It,
1: it is just as Reddit is you know a phonetic i guess version of i read it
0: oh okay and so there's two d all right all right well maybe i'll give him a pass on the spelling and uh you (laughs) shouldn't if you're gonna misspell misspell creatively not derivatively (laughs) this is a good point actually all right well let's uh let's kind of get into the uh exigence of this website like what is it nathan that it's responding to that's the sort of the one of the first rhetorical questions we have to ask about any uh piece of argument
1: Well, sure. I mean, broadly speaking, it's responding to the fact that, you know, the Democrats and Hillary Clinton in particular have just had their tails handed to them on social media. Uh, Now, that appears in a couple different ways here. First of all, I mean, there are Facebook and Twitter icons all over this thing. Uh, Any screen that you're on, you can link to uh, or you can, you know, tweet or you can post it to Facebook. Uh, and really, I mean, I, I had to delete them very quickly cause I didn't want to be associated with the site, but I, <laughs> I tweeted and Facebook posted some Barrett material to my thread just so I could see how it looks and it has a certain visual appeal. So, I mean, you know, it, it catches the eye in a Facebook feed less so on Twitter, but you know, you can tell that, I mean, it's a, a site that at the very least is aware of the visual character of political contests right now. Now, the other feature that uh, Danny was alluding to is the Verit.com authentication code. (laughs) Each of these entities has a, what is it? A seven digit code uh, on the graphic that you can write down and then go to Verit.com and enter the code into the Verit search engine and it will take you either to a page that says this is not authentic Verit material or to the authentic page uh and this is it seems to be and i say seems to be because when i try to reconstruct the uh thought process i give myself a bit of a headache it seems to be a response to the rise of fake news uh and fake news prime rather than fake news beta uh <laughs>
0: what do you mean by that fake news yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so during the presidential campaign uh Basically, you know, everyone was getting their news about the campaign through Facebook and Twitter. No one really blinked about it until Donald Trump won. And then people suddenly started to realize, okay, a lot of these news sources uh, are not, you know, your sort of standard, you know, CNN or, um, you know, Yahoo News or things like that. And they're not even the hyper-partisan alt-right sources like Breitbart or things like that. But they are these sources that are housed on, you know, Russian servers in a lot of cases uh, that basically generate random text. And, you know, it'll be things like, you know, Hillary Clinton is running a, you know, child porn <laughs> ring based on the planet Mars. And, you know, it, it's clearly generated by something like the Dada engine. Danny, if you want to link to that on the show notes, I, I mean, will do that's that. a fascinating little site. Uh, that are, you know, even beyond, I would say something like national Enquirer headlines, they're very clearly just random words, but they sell ad space on them and they were making apparently very good money on it. But what someone discovered was that on a lot of Facebook feeds, depending on what other sources you were linked to, those things would appear just as often as actual human generated news sites. So they got branded fake news because there weren't actually any news organizations generating them, just computer algorithms. Yeah. Well, then Donald Trump, because, you know, for all, you know, say what you will about the tenets of national socialism, but (laughs) uh, you know, Donald Trump is a master of taking criticism thrown his way and judo flipping it. So it becomes a critic of his enemies. He took that phrase fake news and he, in a move that now seems utterly obvious, but no one thought of it before Donald Trump started calling any news source that criticized him fake news. So, what this is responding to is that first kind of fake news, the computer generated stuff. Presumably, if you enter this Barrett code, it will tell you whether a Russian random text generator built it or not. Okay. Now, the thing is, those Russian, you know, random word generators, generally speaking, and Danny, you can tell me if you've heard of cases to the contrary, didn't pretend to come from CNN or New York Times or any of those sources. They were, you know, basically randomly named content generators as well is that how you understand
0: it yeah i mean they would th- these facebook pages that are called like you know right wing nuts for freedom in america kind of like these facebook yeah, yeah, pages yeah, yeah, yeah. That, or, that would then add agri-
1: smoking pagans for trump Yeah, you know <laughs> exactly uh, you know um and so i mean you know what what is puzzling again when i try to reconstruct the thought process behind this And maybe that's the point. You're not supposed to try to reconstruct it. You're supposed to (laughs) revel in the postmodern joy of it is that it's the, the Verit authentication code isn't solving a problem that actually exists in the world.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Right. Um, It it seems to me that what it's trying, the, the limited thing it's trying to react to is so minor and but and yet in the the Peter Taoist mind, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is a, a, a connection to why Hillary lost the, the election. Right. There's this liberal paranoia yeah. about how this election was stolen because of fake news, let alone. I mean, it ignores the question, first of all, that if we're that easily manipulated and we deserve to have our elections hacked in this way. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. um, that's a, a social problem that that question ignores. But it's also uh, so you think of these memes basically. Uh, And I think that's what these things, these cards that are created with the authentication code are. They're verified memes. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah. And they're not bad looking memes.
0: No. And that term actually was given to me by a student in my class, actually. (laughs) I didn't didn't Mm -hmm. have that term until yesterday. But uh, the, uh, uh, so the idea is you see these pictures of Abraham Lincoln with a quote attached to him that he didn't actually say. Right. And yet it gets spread around uh, uh, and people take that as sacrosanct. Uh, This is supposedly a remedy against that. And so we have uh, an example. One of my favorite examples is a quote from Senator uh, Feinstein, Diane Feinstein, quote, failure to protect young people who have come out of the shadows and enrolled in DACA would constitute an abject moral failure, end quote. And then there's an authentication code. And it seems to me the only thing this thing is authenticating is that she actually said those words, right? Uh, Or it's not even doing that. It's just
1: authenticating that it came from Verrett.com.
0: And I guess we have to believe them then that she actually did say those words. In other
1: words, I mean, you know, it's got a citation, but you have to run down that citation once you've gotten to Verrett.com. So again, it's solving a problem that doesn't actually exist. (laughs)
0: And proposing a solution that uh, only perpetuates the problem, I think, is what we're, uh, is yeah, what, yeah. what I'm trying to get into when to complain about today. And this is going to be a rant, I think, on my part. <laughs> I don't really have no, many. I, I don't doubt it, and it is it. <laughs> I don't have many organized notes about this thing. Um, but so, okay, so, and how it works, you just described beautifully. There is basically a headline attached uh, to a meme that is kind of, uh, you know, Classy looking right it looks you know, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. someone took some graphic design classes uh, when they sure. when they came up with this design and it and it seems mm-hmm. to work with this authentication code in the bottom um, and these verified memes um, appeal uh, visually to be kind of read quickly and only it seems to me to be spread among like-minded people right and so yeah, yeah. Um, that one of the things that, that stands out to me about this website is its tagline is um, media for the 65.8 million. And I think that's a really interesting rhetorical move for us to kind of hone, hone in on for a little bit. What What is it? I, obviously, it refers to the number of people who voted for Clinton. What is it, uh, how does it function rhetorically, though?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, it's a, a perpetual reminder and I would say perpetual sulk uh, <laughs> that, you know, Donald Trump's campaign was aware of the electoral college in a way that Hillary Clinton's campaign wasn't. Uh, that, you know, again, you know, th- this is, you know, as Hillary Clinton has, you know, published her election memoir and, you know, is traveling around, you know, complaining about why she lost the election. Yeah. What, what relatively few people are saying, at least in my social media feed is maybe she shouldn't have spent the last three weeks of October in Los Angeles and New York city. Yeah. And she have spent a bit more time in Madison and Detroit and Columbus. Yeah you know, like the states that were actually in play yeah. and that Donald Trump won <laughs> and that therefore gave him the electoral college. Right. But the 65.8 million again is, you know, just a, a signal that we are the righteous ones. We are the ones who received more votes. And therefore, you know, everything that we say here is backed up by a statistical righteousness at the very least. Uh, you know, even if it is, you know, a, a perpetual reminder that whoever was running that campaign, my theory and Danny, I mean, you can tell me if if your theory on this differs, I think that she was assuming that she had already won the thing and was trying to run up the score on the, uh, the popular vote side so that she could go into her first hundred days and say the nation wants this more than they've wanted any president in the last 50 years. Yeah. And you know what bitter in the butt, you know, I mean, it's almost like a Delphic Oracle from Herodotus, right? You know, if you cross that river you will destroy a mighty empire well she did and it was her empire right <laughs> um, so i mean that that's my theory about how she actually lost the election i've told a number of people that i don't know if i've said it on the air or not but you know that 65.8 million now has taken on the new role of saying that you know somehow by playing by the established rules of the electoral college donald trump cheated to get into the white house
0: <laughs> exactly right um and i This is something you keep hearing in kind of the liberal media sphere is mm-hmm. she got more votes than anybody in Barack Obama, other than Barack Obama, blah, 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 in whatever year he got in 2008. Um, yeah. Which isn't that impressive. Every election, the winner and the loser gets more votes than the election before them because just population growth, right? That, that, is, yes. not, that is not <laughs> that, <laughs> that impressive of a stat ever. Right. But and we, in
1: fact, if you lose people, <laughs> that really says something. <laughs> exactly. Because we've got more people living in the country than we did. Exactly. In previous elections.
0: Right, right. Um yeah her book was it called what happened right um I think it should be called damn you people <laughs> I think that's basically what I hope that doesn't that won't give us the explicit tag for this right I think you're no, okay with that but I think that's that's the tone of of her book tour at least um mm-hmm. but going back to the 65.8 million and I think you're right that is the rhetorical Argument that it's trying to make by framing this website in that way to make it sound like the majority of Americans aren't bad people who voted for Donald Trump, which A, assumes mm-hmm. that bad people are the only ones who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, and B, it assumes to me, so let's go to Kenneth Burke here. Um, uh, uh-huh. The For him, the primary act of rhetoric is to create identification, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And so.
1: And then, I mean. You kind of slid over this word and said it quieter than identification, but it's to create identification. Yes.
0: Yes. To create identification between uh, an audience and a rhetor. And in this case, but in Burke's case, it's not... Those two things are not synonymous with one another. You do not fully identify with the person making the argument, right? There's he has a term called mm-hmm. consubstantiation, right? You just you yeah. are substantial for which a,
1: is borrowing from theology.
0: Okay, well that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh,
1: okay, I mean, are you aware of the the terms previous context?
0: Well, I, I know of transubstantiation and all of okay, these things. Well,
1: consubstantiation was a, an alternative to it raised during the uh, Continental Reformation uh, that says that. And i believe it's associated with lutheran thinkers and i'm, I'm losing my seminary cred as i <laughs> come up unsure on this uh but basically the idea here is not that the bread and the wine lose their substance as bread and wine and become flesh and blood but that they take on flesh and blood simultaneously with their nature as bread and wine so that they have both of the substances at the same time mm. therefore consubstantiation rather than transubstantiation. So, and that, sorry, I just want—I just wanted to get that in there. Go ahead with Burke's no, no, version of it.
0: I love that. That's beautiful background, though. Uh, and I think it actually, it, it's a great way to understand how he sees this process playing out in rhetoric is that the mm-hmm. voter in this case does not become identical, does not lose their individual status, right? They maintain right. their individuality while mm-hmm. becoming consubstantial with the right. the person who while they're listening to, while also
1: becoming the Hillary voter,
0: exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a very limited amount of identity that you're giving up by voting that yes. way, right? And mm-hmm. so what this thing s- assumes is that all of those uh, 65.8 million people. Are Peter Daoist uh, um, Hillary sycophants, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, I wonder if anybody's uh, coined this term yet, Daoist, uh, because (laughs) I might if they haven't yet. But uh, but that assumes that you have bought into Hillary in the way that he has, right? And and that's just factually not true. Um, I I will come on the air and say I did vote for Hillary Clinton with my nose plugged, right? Uh, Like I voted Mm -hmm. for her out of that consubstantial uh, like moment, and I do not attach. any more of my identity to that. Uh, And so I'm offended by the fact that my vote is included in this number.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the other oddity, uh, I mean, and certainly Kenneth Burke deals with this, but I mean, it goes back much further. I mean, all the way really to Aristotle's rhetoric, you know, in his, you know, brief treatise on rhetoric, which actually wasn't his, it's his students taking notes, whatever. But one of the things he focuses on early in that treatise is the fact that every rhetorical act has a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. You know, judicial rhetoric has the purpose of arriving at a favorable verdict. Uh, You know, legislative rhetoric has the purpose of getting legislation passed in one direction or the other. Uh, You know, um, encomiastic rhetoric has the purpose of impressing an audience with the skill of your rhetoric, right? This, Site and and the sixty five eight point eight uh, number, uh, you know, let's just go ahead and use it as a synecdoche. I am not entirely sure what it is supposed to do. That election is over. Clinton has stated she's not running again. You know, to get these people, you know, consubstantial, to use Kenneth Burke's term. What I keep coming back to is for the sake of what? Uh, and I mean, I I think that you know you can analyze it as a third party and say these people are getting this thing out of this phenomenon. But as far as, you know, trying to put myself in the imagination of the site, I verit.com am trying to accomplish, I can't finish that sentence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, can you, I mean, is there some
0: hidden purpose here that I'm I'm unaware of? It's to create an echo chamber. I think this is like the, but that's
1: a third party analysis.
0: Right? It, it, that's what I'm saying. Right. So, I mean,
1: what would, would, you know, Uh, Peter Dow himself say I did this so that I could get people to congratulate themselves or is there some other purpose
0: I think that so this is my kind of uh, analysis of the post election um, intra left debate Um, okay go ahead part of that okay I think this is part of it at least Um, there I think that the reason that the center left the kind of mainstream DNC liberal um, which Hillary yeah yeah. they're almost Uh, synonymous right Um, they're almost (laughs) transubstantial <laughs> I guess. Um, uh, but so I think that they, the reason that they are so uh, vitriolically um, disgusted by the left, left the sort of more Marxist left, the socialist mm-hmm. left, right, sure, the, sure. the sort of the DNC types. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, not even Marxist. I mean, even something like you know bernie sanders's democratic socialism right yeah you're, you're more well, progressive very capitalist in this character
0: right yeah the, yeah because it, it's sort of eastern european socialism right uh, or north northern european socialism excuse me yeah 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 mm-hmm. and so yeah that so it's it's still within the capitalist framework right sure um, but it's still got this kind of marxist it tastes Marxie, um, as uh, as Derek uh, <laughs> Derek Varne talked in the last epi- in a recent episode at least talked about um, uh, Protestant or no uh, atheism tasting Uh and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. This uh, Bernie Sanders tastes Marxie, okay, uh, mm-hmm. and so. Within that debate, the reason that the sort of center left is so vitriolically um, insulted by the existence and the criticism, which is sometimes Mm -hmm. snarky uh, from from this other kind of this other version of the left is that they have built up in their mind this echo chamber that they are the moral ones. Right. And the conservatives Mm -hmm. are the bad guys. If you are not in our team, then you are objectively bad off now comes in someone from their left. Who causes who casts who causes them to sort of have to defend their their sort of assumed moral position, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what this is doing is again trying to recreate the uh, the the box the 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 fortress of solitude, if you will, that the left <laughs> had, uh that the, the liberals had uh, constructed for themselves as the kind of moral center of the of America. They're the good version of capitalism. They're the the kind right. yeah. You know. And so um, I think that's why. This is as much a reaction against the left as it is against Donald Trump, Uh, and in many Mm -hmm. of the memes that he creates, uh, they're actually—I mean—he makes that point, (laughs) which we can.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And, And returning to those, I mean, what's fascinating is what gets generated on your Facebook feed is, as you noted, I mean, this you know brief, pithy quote from you know George Santayana or from Eric Holder or from some famous person from a famous discourse. But when you click through what you get is i mean in everyone that i've read and i mean if you found anything other than this please let me know is an essay that reads like a bad freshman comp paper <laughs> yes i mean you know i mean like all the way down to like the punctuation on rhetorical questions isn't consistent <laughs> uh you know i mean it is you know this very facebooky kind of register you know as far as the diction goes uh, it's just weird stuff yeah uh, and you're right i mean it does seem to be aimed more at the bernie sanders democratic socialist than it is at the trump voter um and if if i could imagine a scenario in which someone is convinced by this i might be you know i, I might say okay maybe this is for the sake of the next one but again the prose is so bad that you know they clearly didn't hire writers hmm. or if they did i mean they were people who were so bad that they got hired into a better position like you just said
0: yeah. i yeah, and no. you know
1: and and again you know the the feel of it is you know a november 9th clinton voter you know just ranting about the world yeah. except here we are 10 months later and they're still doing it
0: it feels like a November 9th medium post, doesn't it? Um,
1: yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly uh, the problem with it. And so it's, it's, it's got this vision of itself that doesn't really match any kind of reality and is only creating the kind of echo chamber that it ostensibly is there to push back against, right? It's almost um, uh, explicitly and proudly stating that this is um, so people can feel good about their ideas and not have to challenge right, them.
1: Right. But I can't imagine anyone reading this unironically I mean I for, first of all, I have to think that Hillary Clinton didn't look at it very carefully before she tweeted her endorsement of it
0: yeah yeah they made a lot of truck of that too by the way
1: yeah and, and if she did I mean she deserves every scorn that she gets as a result because I mean it really is just a once you get past the graphic design, I'll put it that way, it's a really terrible website.
0: But isn't that the Democratic Party? I mean, once you get past the,
1: <laughs>
0: the glossy cover, I mean.
1: But I guess here's my thing, Danny. And I mean, you know, when I think about the existence of this site, I mean, it is on one level solving a problem that doesn't exist. On another level, it is completely redundant because you've got sites like salon.com and slate.com doing what I mm-hmm. regard as a sort of, you know, um, civil libertarian capitalist kind of journalism already but doing it well Mm -hmm. so i mean i i again i mean you know what whereas you have your tendency has been to rant about it mine has been (laughs) to scratch my head wondering how did this come to be
0: it is. And you're probably taking the wiser choice. Uh, I mean, I, I've been getting very worked up about this uh, here in the in the hallways. To where people are kind of laughing at me now. So, um, but that which is fine, I suppose. But you're right. It does seem redundant. That that is the main point to take away from this. It's not like we already don't have these echo chambers. The Twitter it doesn't already kind of form itself into these into these kind of groups that people can tweet back inspirational quotes to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think much of the quote unquote resistance that The hashtag resistance that's come up in the in the wake of trump's election with these uh, various groups that that meet and uh that i think kind of largely formed out of the women's march uh movement i think that splintered into a lot of these um like local groups like indivisibles and these kinds of things i think they tend to be already like lived out versions of this meme generator and uh -hmm. and so what purpose does it serve Except I think, to make people it give people more ammo to share on their Facebook feed. I think it's just feeding in to the kind of discourse that is dumbing down our our society's uh, yeah, well, ability thing, to argue.
1: These are people who are already reading salon dot com and you know reading Tanahazi Cokes on the dot com. Mm-hmm. Why would they instead of that tweet these freshman essays? <laughs> I mean, I, re- I really don't know. That's not a rhetorical question.
0: Um, I, and I don't know that there's a good answer I, I, I other okay. than just the and,
1: and by the way the only Varit tweets that I've seen and you can tell me if you've seen anything else on your feed have been ironic uh,
0: what do you mean by that
1: so in other words I mean people are posting them saying get a load of this yes. not I see. You know, not with their fists in the air, but with their thumb gesturing at the dumbo next to them.
0: Yeah. You have to kind of go into the comment section of Veritz of each individual post to find Uh people who actually think this is a good idea. I think you're right. I think. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that is one place. Okay. I'll grant that.
0: (laughs) And so it has created that kind of echo chamber space within the meme itself, I suppose. Um, Right. Right. There's a metaphor for life here we're getting at, I think.
1: But, But I guess here's my question, though. I mean, is... And I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but what else is new, right, Danny? (laughs) But uh, is what we see in the comment section of verit.com posts analogous to what we saw on the streets of Charlottesville? In other words, when they tried to get get together every Nazi in America, they could get together about 600 guys.
0: Oh, okay. And so you're saying this is... Okay, I think that... Is this
1: emblematic of the discourse or is this all of the idiots getting together in one place
0: and just, yeah. Making themselves. Yeah. All right. that's a good, I mean, honestly, it's a question I have about their, uh, claims for who they're speaking for, the 65.8 yeah, million. Yeah,
1: because it, it ain't no 65.8 million. Let's, no. let's get that out of the way, right?
0: <laughs> they don't even have, I mean, 100,000 Twitter followers yet, and I think most of the people who right. follow them on Twitter are doing it ironically. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. I'd fully suspect, this is why I want to make this a quickie episode, I fully expect this thing to go out of business in a year and a half, but at the most, right? I, I do. Ex- oh, gosh. You I think, think it'll last that long? Th- that's my point. I think I think that this <laughs> thing is, is short-lived, and, and I think yeah. it's uh, the ridicule that it's, uh, although they're taking the ridicule as sign of success they they make verified memes to actually uh make the claim that the fact that everyone's making fun of them means they're doing good <laughs> right
1: right now by the way i mean we should also note that within 24 hours of the site's launch someone had had created a verit.com mirror site <laughs> and they were they were creating verified verit posts with headlines like the reason Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election was Hillary Clinton. (laughs) And they were checking out on Barrett.com. So (laughs) the problem that they were trying to solve that didn't exist, they haven't solved it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and they've only the saddest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It really is. I mean, if they were trying to kind of take away some of the moral high ground from the, from the far left, I think all they've done is just, Increase that. I think that they they've really this has been a self defeating enterprise uh, in so many uh-huh. ways. Um, and Jake, there's a, a writer that I, I've read and I follow. He's a Pittsburgh writer named Jacob Bacharach I'll, I'll put a I'll try mm-hmm. and put a, embed the uh, link to this tweet in uh, in the show notes. He retweeted something that Verret said that Verret is not producing any printed materials. Uh, so if you see anything, it's not it's not real. And so people are. T- People are like responding to that tweet. Wait, where's the authentication code for this tweet? How can we believe (laughs) it's real? But Jacob Ackerack. Tweeted something like, This is since there's no authentication code, this is false. And not only that, all printed materials are coming from Verit.com. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's become almost like a joke generator more than a meme generator. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. For its enemies. But I, I do want to talk about the, the particular memes um, themselves. And this might not even be like, obvious to someone who's just casually scrolling, but you can click, mm-hmm. each meme is accompanied with a headline. Yeah, that you can click on. And there's a, a short little article that seems to me is obviously written by Peter Dow himself. I mean, I don't know. Or, or maybe him and his like kids or something are writing these things. I don't know. Uh, his freshman comp. That, they're sure. really badly written. They're really badly written. But the headlines themselves, I think, are an example of um, bad argument uh, and like not only bad, but like unethical argument. And so the the one I read earlier about uh, Diane Fein- by Diane Feinstein, I'll repeat it again. Mm-hmm. Failure to protect young people who have come out in the shadows and enrolled in DACA would constitute an abject moral failure. Okay, that's the right, statement.
1: So, yeah, that's the quote that appears on the meme. Yes. Now the headline for
0: the story is. The Republican Party is harmful to America's children. Okay. <laughs> there is. No way you can jump from that piece of evidence, this meme, to the claim, um, to the conclusion or the claim that that headline represents. There's just no logical connection between those two statements. Uh, And this is why I've been using it in class, frankly. I think it's, I I can't think, I I tell my students, if I could find some nonpartisan version of bad rhetoric that even came close to matching this, I would use that. I hate using politics in class, but I've never seen anything Mm -hmm. that's so objectively, demonstrably, um, awful that we can actually learn from. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's one example, uh, of, of a, of a sort of a bad, uh, uh and that is, it kind of violates, oh gosh, uh, the name right now is escaping me, uh, toolman, uh, with the, the claim data, oh, yeah, yeah. the claim data mm-hmm. warrant, uh, sort of uh, model of everything, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. a total disconnect between the warrant and the claim. The, the evidence does not match, uh, the, 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 thing That is in the claim there. And so I think right. it's. it's can,
1: can I do two more, Danny? Because go, I've got two more that. Go many as you uh, want. One, one of them, <laughs> one of them uh, isn't unethical so much as tautological. So it made me laugh. The uh, quote that appears on the uh, verit meme is 75% of new heroin users report that their first opioid was a prescription drug. Source CNN, July 2017. The headline, 70% of new heroin users began with prescription drugs. <laughs>
0: it says the exact same thing. <laughs> yes. I know. I've, there are several of those actually that did that. Um, yeah, that is, a, uh, <laughs> that is one of the uh, funny things. It's like they've run out of material like to make up. And so, yeah, they've done that.
1: And, and then some of them are just exactly opposite of each other. So one of them, it's a quote from John Polderholtz, the conservative columnist. Uh, the quote is, Mike Pence is lying. Everyone knows he's lying. The headline, Pence vouches for Trump's ethics on white supremacy.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. And so uh, this is why A is laughing at it, as we've talked about. So it's um, it's rhetorical purpose. And we could talk about the f- the rhetorical i mean if there are rhetorical terms we can use to understand the failure here um if, if you can think of any i don't know but um <laughs> people are laughing at it a but it's also it's if it is meant to be a antidote to fake news it is actually a worse than than the disease i mean this is like
1: pres- well, depending on what kind right <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think it's worse than russian sites saying that you know aliens abducted donald trump before the election
0: don't you? I kind of think it is. I Because I, that's, I mean, to most people, to most like um even basically educated people, that is something that you would just sort of dismiss and laugh at. Uh, but in this case, like they're taking facts and twisting them. I think this is more malicious than that. That at least was for profit. Like, this is. For- <laughs> so, I mean, I think capital helps us understand why they do that, but. <laughs> This I don't even. This is purely malicious. It's almost um, slanderous uh, use of uh, of argumentation here. So I, in some ways, I think it's worse than absolute fake news. Now the the fake news two as you said, is uh, a, is a different animal. Um, right, right. But uh, and, and while we're on, can I go back to that topic? One yeah, mo- go moment? ahead. Um, that so the term fake news was kind of an invention of you know. Center left uh, people who were explaining Hillary's uh, problems in the election, right? So that's a term that was right. in- invented by the quote unquote liberal sphere. Um, right.
1: And, and, and largely emerged after the election was decided. Yes. I yeah. want to point that up that I mean it's not like during the election anyone was concerned about fake news.
0: Yeah, not not as much. I mean, people thought it was a joke and it was and, until they realized mm-hmm. it had an actual impact. Apparently, yeah. And Whether it did and, or not, and then actually. they
1: needed a scapegoat for the election, so they pointed to these Russian sites.
0: Yeah, and now it's become you know Putin meddling and and all these other excuses, right? Um, right, right. I, you know, I thought I just thought of another example or another uh, title that Hillary could have used her uh, for her book. If I did it, I think would be. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Remember the O.J. book that never came out. But, uh, um, but yeah, let uh, I me mean, move on. The uh, But the other example of that kind of uh, skewing of a term, like changing of its original intent mm-hmm. from left to right, is this alt-left, this term that was really kind of, if not invented by mainstream liberals to... Is another smear, like a synonymous smear for Bernie bro or something like that.
1: Oh, I'd say I never heard it used that way. I, I always heard it used by Trump supporters later sure. on
0: later on oh, okay, this okay. is what i'm Go this ahead. is what i'm saying in its original uh, form right after the election um, that's uh-huh. your sort of joy read uh, crowd from uh, msnbc on twitter they're using this term alt left to describe the actual left right um okay again I gotcha. again to create themselves as the legitimate left in the center uh, and so that term whether they actually invented it or not they popularized it and then trump of course in the wake of charlottesville Twists it and and use it. Uh, the alt left is now like so. People who want um, you know single payer health care are the same as Nazis, right? And so the, the, yeah, the, he yeah. he twists this term. that really is a fake term. It's fake news, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 changes its meaning. And it's something that the that sort of mainstream liberals invent or perpetuate, and then the right takes away from them and twists its meaning against them. And so I think
1: right, right.
0: the left or liberals have got to stop making up slogans <laughs> that's the that's the lesson you can't depend on on memes I mean those terms are basically memes right you can't yeah, depend yeah. on memes to do your arguing for you right, and you keep right. doing I mean,
1: it Donald Trump is the hydra quit cutting his heads
0: off exactly you keep doing it and it keeps backfiring um, uh-huh. and so you've got to move on to some other strategy and I think that's the lesson to be taken from that um, so one of the I guess uh, as we start to wrap up this is supposed to be a quickie right <laughs> and I knew I was gonna Sure it. it
1: is. <laughs> I knew I
0: was, you know, I sometimes feel guilty about that. My show keeps going two hours long, but then I, I only release every other week. And so you have time to get through two hours in two weeks. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you have a real problem with it, let me know. But, uh, I, I, you know, so far, nobody's really complaining about it. I feel more guilty about it than I should, but, um, Oh, so I want to get to the level of writing uh, that you were talking about before we yeah. we start to wrap this up. Uh, one of the memes—it's a Hillary Clinton quote: "America is once again at a moment of reckoning," and this is the one I sent you in advance, I think. Um, and yeah, what's what's the headline on it? Hillary Democrats are the heart and conscience of America.
1: <laughs> there we go. All right. So,
0: so first of all, there's that. That warrant gap that's between the claim and the and the and the data there uh America is once again at a moment of reckoning becomes Hillary Democrats are the heart of heart and conscience of america uh and then so we have all sorts of uh we have uh like tweets basically that are salivating over Hillary Clinton, and they use this again as evidence that everyone loves hillary clinton and and the way this is written Hillary Democrats are the heart and conscience of America again, <laughs> repeating. The phrase. They cast a vote for compassion, inclusion, justice, and equality. The values that make America great. It is a travesty that they continue to be treated with disdain and disrespect. Verrett was created and again, to.
1: Again, I mean, Danny, I mean, is this not freshman comp pros? It is, it is worse. I mean, it is. It, it's totally worse. It's. it's it also re-
0: it's worse because it purports to be a
1: professional website.
0: It is. But it also reminds me of like Big Brother kind of uh, – it's what Orwell would have written um, in 1984 about people loving Big Brother, right? Uh, and, and it just kind of shows the uh, – whatever, the the limited ability to kind of rationally deal with reality <laughs> that these people mm-hmm. are dealing with, that they're literally writing um, fiction, Um uh, I don't know if there's any other examples of the bad writing that accompany these memes
1: <laughs>
0: that, that you want to talk about.
1: Well, no, like I said, I mean, the the main thing is, I mean, there are no transition phrases. I mean, there's no sense of an overarching, you know, driving argument. Uh, you know, it doesn't proceed, you know, from premise to conclusion. It, it's just kind of a, it, it's a freshman comp first draft. You know, I mean, I, I can imagine seeing this in my office when i'm working with freshmen on you know how to structure an argument
0: yeah um and there was another one and i'm not finding it right now like quickly enough it's something about um that makes the claim that uh people from the left who uh, attack hillary clinton are basically agents of the right right and i I wanted to to bring this one up uh in relationship to the uh that use of the term alt left and alt right uh, as Mm -hmm. sort of an example of what i was talking about but you don't need us to read these to you. These take 30 seconds to read. They're, they're, they put yeah. that much thought in, and then probably 28 seconds to write. And so there's a, <laughs> there's a, 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 there's enough material there for you to kind of go into. Um, is going back to my one question though, is there like a rhetorical concept that we can use to describe this site's failure?
1: Uh, I mean, about the only thing that I would point to is not necessarily a, a rhetorical term. Uh, but it is, you know, something in uh, Aristotle's rhetoric because, of course, he's coming off of, you know, Plato's Gorgias and Phaedrus that are very, very suspicious of a science of rhetoric precisely because it can be used for good or for ill, right? Mm-hmm. And for Plato, that is a sign that it's not really a true techne. Uh, and you know, techne is that Greek word that you can translate as practice or science or, uh, skill. It, it's kind of got some flexibility to it. But for Plato, the true techni have some kind of good as their end right mm-hmm. so so medicine is a technai because it aims for health warfare is a technai because it aims for victory politics is a technai because it aims for justice but rhetoric doesn't really have an inherent aim so the best that plato will do in the gorgias is say there might be some practice that doesn't exist yet but which we could imagine that might be the true rhetoric that could be a techne, techne, because it would aim at the good of the soul. Mm-hmm. Aristotle comes back at that and says, "Well, you know, the nature of first of all, he just flat out says that you know rhetoric is a techne. It's like the third sentence of his treatise. So, I mean, he he just comes right at Plato right out of the gate. But he says that you know the fact that it can be used for good or for ill is sort of one axis of concern. But the other axis of concern is you can make intelligible distinctions between uh, how well it accomplishes whatever end it sets out to accomplish.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And I think that that distinction in Aristotle's rhetoric might be what we're looking at here. Right. I mean, so even if you want to say that, you know, the folks who voted for Hillary Clinton should be aiming at something right now, this is so ill conceived that it doesn't even have a purpose articulated much less um, any sense of how you would accomplish that purpose. Does
0: that make some sense? It does. It does. And actually, as you were talking, it reminds me, I'm thinking of corollaries on the right. And one that, I mean, it's been around for a long time and therefore is successful is Drudge, right? The Drudge Report yeah. reminds mm-hmm. me of this very much, um, except it has like an obvious like um, purpose and it has – Uh, A way, I don't know for whatever reason it's successful in reaching the people and influencing the people that it wants to influence. It has become that kind of group meeting place of like minded people to Mm -hmm. uh, exchange and then therefore and leave that space with a new thought, right? Um, uh, Going back to, uh, uh, I don't know if this comes out of Burke, but we have this uh, continuum of persuasion. This idea you not only sort of get somebody's attention and uh, create a a virtual. Uh, presence a virtual experience ultimately you that virtual experience is to get them to identify with you so that you can explain things and then move them to action right Um, and so that is something that drudge does very well right and fox Mm -hmm. news um, that does that very well Uh, liberals have always failed when it comes Replicating what works for conservatives, like remember Air Mm -hmm. America was meant to be liberals' uh, uh, solution or response to no, it's a talk radio at that time. Um,
1: Oh, that's right, it was a radio, it wasn't a TV station. Yeah, okay. So
0: that failed miserably. Um, Mm -hmm. MSNBC is still around, but in rate in terms of ratings, it's uh, far less successful than Fox News. Uh, It doesn't even like cause a blip on the screen usually, Uh, and and I think in this case, as a kind of liberal version of Maybe the Drudge Report. Uh, this is mm-hmm. failing as well. I and I don't know what it is about liberal liberalism that is unable to replicate those rhetorical forms from conservatism. But every time they do, they embarrass themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: well, let, let me back that up just a little bit. Is it every time? Well, okay. I mean, because I, I, I again, I'm thinking about those media outlets like Democracy Now or like Salon.com or you know even the Atlantic Monthly in the in the Ta-Nehisi Coates era, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like they are advancing liberal ideas, and in the case of Coates, identity politics, liberal ideas, in a very intellectually engaging way.
0: I I do feel I think you're right. I think what you're describing, though, is sort of like the intellectual mainstream of America, and I think liberals okay. liberalism does dominate those kind of organs like you're taking slate right. slate in well Atlantic. and that
1: might be why i mean because it is harder for liberals culturally to imagine themselves as the I, I don't even know what to what to call them the underdogs for lack of a better term yes when they do try to take on the underdog stance it becomes a self-parody
0: that's a really good point um you're right everything anything any attempt to occupy the margins um is a, a kind of a failure right and i think that i think it might help even explain some of the vitriolic reaction against the left uh, the criticisms of the left in the post trump era uh, is that they can't imagine themselves they they can't imagine themselves as uh, assailable uh, in any way and so mm-hmm. any kind of even um discourse from the margins just shakes it uh to to its core
1: well and then also they think of themselves as the ideology of human history's destiny Mm -hmm. and i mean if you think about you know the sort of neoconservative way of thinking about the world 15 years ago they kind of hit the same stride right where they weren't even interested in engaging with arguments you know for a more or for a less interventionist foreign policy, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't even interested in engaging arguments about a more common good oriented economics, right? I mean, it was just kind of a, we are the destiny of history and therefore we don't have to talk to you. I think that some elements of the sort of identity politics, liberal intelligentsia for lack of a better word have kind of gotten there that, you know, okay, history is headed our way. I mean, you know, 15 years ago and and you know some of our listeners might not be old enough to remember this the people who kept talking about you want to be on the right side of history were george w bush supporters yeah now if you hear you know you're on the wrong side of history it's usually coming from an identity politics liberal
0: yeah yeah, you're right. They pride themselves now on being the grown-ups in the room, right? And Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and they kind of ridicule and people. And again,
1: just as neocon's were in 2003, right? You know, uh, you people might, you know, like to sing Kumbaya with terrorists, but the adults in the room know that we have to deal with them.
0: Yeah. And so when they try to create, when that grown-up tries to recreate something that is by its nature supposed to be, you know, whatever edgy and uh, Uh, a little immature and, and wild. it, it whatever, it doesn't translate. So it works great for The Atlantic and it works great for, and honestly, I, I still like The Atlantic. Uh, oh, I do
1: too. I and, do too. I wouldn't say. It's Slate, I mean, actually.
0: Know. Most mainly I like. I mean, Slate is not Salon. Salon is like abjectly terrible. Yeah, uh, I know. Slate somewhere I in the middle.
1: Can fl- I conflate fl- those two too easily. I'll grant
0: that. <laughs> yeah, Slate is somewhat uh, mature, actually. But, but I mean, frankly, I mean, even going back to The Atlantic, just as a defense of it, they do some of the best religion writing, I think, uh, in In America right now they've got some oh, sure, religion sure. reporters that are uh, I think not only fair-minded but really really thoughtful and uh, I really appreciate what the Atlantic is doing uh, oh in, sure in but I mean if
1: the if the feature piece on the cover of the, the Atlantic has a byline by Ta-Nehisi Coates, <laughs> you can make a fairly educated guess that the thesis is not going to be racism isn't the only thing at play here. <laughs>
0: well you know he's got his thing he does his thing he does what he does right so
1: right right well what i'm saying is i mean that is a distinctively dnc idea right
0: it is and, it, and it, you
1: know it, but you know it's not varit
0: <laughs> exactly right it occupies that kind of um serious center let's call it uh, uh much more comfortably than the right does uh the the right doesn't occupy I another
1: example danny i and this just occurred to me because i actually got the the most recent episode today but uh matt Taibbi's political writing in rolling stone magazine okay strikes me as you know something that is unapologetically uh liberal politics but it's in a much more serious investigative register
0: Uh uh-huh yeah and and, yeah i agree go ahead you're gonna say something else there
1: oh no i you know simply that you know there are certain media in which liberal politics come across much better and there are certain media in which conservative politics come better come across better and they tend to be in long form paragraph using media right i mean yeah. if you compare you know drudge report or com to first things or new criterion I mean, one of those sets of media have serious ideas and the other one doesn't.
0: Right. Right. Um, and I think, honestly, I think you're on to something uh, that might explain this election is that, I mean, Donald Trump recognized uh, that particularly starting with the primary, but the election cycle is a reality show. It isn't a serious uh, discourse. Uh, the, uh, an American election is not a serious discourse. It is a mm-hmm. reality show. He happens to be the king of that, that medium, right? Hillary Clinton... I think is thinking it's still JFK's uh, medium, right? Uh, that the yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, you're and,
1: absolutely right. Uh, yeah,
0: and so I think not only uh, that's I think explains part of the reason, at least, why her ideas don't translate well in a uh, well enough, at least, to to be a, 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 an abjectly unpopular candidate like Donald Trump, like right. Um, and so yeah,
1: and and then I mean you just got to, and I know I keep banging this drum, but I mean you got to come back to the utter incompetence of the October campaign.
0: Yeah, well, or even from the beginning. I mean, I've read some
1: I I, want to focus on October. I mean, why is she not in Detroit? Why is she not in Milwaukee? Why is she in Los Angeles? (laughs)
0: there was the data that they were listening to data that didn't actually capture the nuance of the American electorate or the electoral college Mm -hmm. for that matter. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they were listening to this kind of, um, these number crunchers playing money ball basically. And, uh, and trying to run a campaign off of that without any kind of human spirit to it. And I mean, Donald Trump doesn't represent the best of the human spirit, but he's definitely the human spirit. Right.
1: Yeah. Now can I make a crazy butt prediction on your show, Danny? Yeah. Now that Donald Trump has come out in favor of DACA, the next thing that's going to happen is before the 2020 primary start, he's going to come out as vocally pro-abortion, and he is going to try to demolish the Democratic field in 2020 the way he did to the Republicans in
0: 2016. You know, it's very possible. Um <laughs> I, I, he clearly doesn't have any principles. Uh, that he doesn't bring with him <laughs> principles to anything that he does, right? And so um, it, it's very possible. And I think, honestly, that Christians would find a way to follow him down that path uh, as far as he would take them. I, I think. Oh, and see, I, I think
1: DNC partisans would follow him there if they think he could beat Mike Pence or whoever's running the actual GOP ticket.
0: Huh? That's in. So you're talking about as a third party? He's running. Like- yeah,
1: I, I think he goes independent so he can destroy the Democrats too, <laughs> the way he destroyed the Republicans. Okay,
0: that is a crazy. Okay, now you, you okay, you've convinced me that is a crazy argument for sure. Alan, <laughs> um. oh,
1: it's not an argument. I mean, it's a, it's a sci-fi scenario. But what I've learned in the last two years is. <laughs> my sci-fi scenarios tend to be less weird than what happens on the news
0: if uh, honestly i if he gets a, a primary challenge uh then i think that that is something that is uh entirely within the realm of possibility that he would run as an independent candidate and possibly still win
1: and go full-on pro-abortion pull votes away from the democrats yeah. and
0: yeah i, I the, the, okay now this is uh chillingly plausible i think at this point <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, no, I think that, um, honestly I, I didn't expect, I had no idea where this would ultimately go, but I think we've, uh, solved a lot of America's problems today, uh, by, <laughs> by talking about Verrett, uh, verrett.com. If you haven't, uh, you might want to get there quickly. I, like I said, I don't expect this to stay in business, uh, by, by 2020. I doubt that Verrett will be having any impact on the election, uh, by 2020, but I think that if you, uh, uh, want to check it out, it is worth uh, worth doing if only, and those of you who are teaching uh, in English or whatever, uh, or something where argument is important, it's a really great example. It's a really good counterexample. Uh, and on, honestly, I find those to be uh, more useful in class than than good examples very often. I think counterexamples are more instructive in many ways. And so I've been uh, mm-hmm. importing this into class uh, quite a bit. One example of that teaching method, I, there's, do you remember this uh, guy who ran for the governorship of Tennessee named Basil Basil Marceau. Uh, no. dot Basilmarceau.com he calls himself. Um, you should look this up. He ran this objectively terrible, like comically bad campaign ad. Um, and I do, I watched that with class and we're all sort of laughing at everything that he does badly. And I pull back and I'm like, you realize he's doing everything that every other ad does well, right? But he's just doing it all so badly you can see all the manipulative structures. You can see all the rhetorical yep, yes. moves, right? And so that's why it's- it is
1: a, making it opaque.
0: Yes, absolutely. You can see the strings moving uh, on the mm-hmm. marionette here. And so that's why it's a valuable thing. And I think verret falls into that category as well.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, one interesting rhetorical lesson would be to look at the very first verret from, do these things even have dates on them?
0: No, oh, I don't even know.
1: I don't think they do. But the very first day of uh, Verrett, introducing Verit media for the 65.8 million read that and see if you can articulate a goal that this site is shooting for. What are they trying to accomplish?
0: Mm-hmm. This is <laughs> um, an obstacle in freshman writing. Um, well, yeah. Frankly all the way through, right? Uh, that is, I'm still harping on that. Like what problem is it that you're addressing? What yeah, is, exactly. what is exactly. the solution that you are uh, uh, proposing, right? That's, all bad papers can usually be traced to that, a lack of those two things. Not all, but many, mm-hmm. many bad papers can be traced to uh, an inattention to those two questions. Um, read, craft the research uh look at verret.com and within 6 weeks you'll be a expert in rhetoric just like Nathan Gilmore <laughs> uh, or your money back <laughs> so um uh, well give Nathan uh, thanks again uh how you guys are you guys up and running yet for the Christian humanist uh, podcast uh,
1: we are uh and I don't know when this episode's going to drop I don't know if you're going to do it midweek so we can get it in before verret closes down <laughs> but uh <laughs> um we are recording our first episode on september 18th and it should go live on september 19th so uh as listeners might know david lives in the houston area i live in uh north georgia so we've both been uh you know sort of out of podcast capability because of hurricanes
0: yeah yeah and 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 grubs is okay uh right uh that just let everybody know well well, no one's worried about you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> you're in North Georgia. We knew it was raining hard, but you know, um, <laughs> no. Um, uh, but Grubbs was actually in Houston, right? Uh, and he, yeah, he is yeah. Okay. Although
1: during the hurricane, he was in Alabama.
0: Yeah, yeah. He he got out in time, so yeah. And mm-hmm. and apparently his property was all okay and everything. So yep, yep. Um, so yeah. So uh, those uh, I know we have a lot of like loyal listeners and well wishers and good people listen to the show. So just know that. Um, your uh, two thirds of your Christian humanist podcast—they're they're doing just fine. So, yep, um, yep. <laughs> well, Nathan, uh, thanks again for joining me today. I really appreciate this. I kind of feel like this was closure for me. I got it out of my system. <laughs> to go on with my life, and, uh, teach Kafka, and be happy like a normal person. And so, well,
1: well like I said, I mean, you might want to cut this one in line, or we won't be talking about you know already
0: defunct websites. <laughs> yeah, I might. I, there might. This might be a special drop, like in the middle, uh, and because I have uh, a, a an episode. Episode recorded that is uh, in uh, been scheduled to coincide with banned books week. I did an episode last year with uh, Jay uh, Eldred about that, Uh, and so this year um, Jay and uh, Jay and I joined uh, were joined by uh, Megan von Bergen to talk about uh, the kind of the Christian version of uh, of that of that impulse to sort of ban cultural objects, and so Mm -hmm. that that's going to be coming out on uh, whatever the the Thursday the uh, what is uh, today's the fifteenth so. Six days from now, whatever that date is, the twenty first. Very good, very good. Uh, so that that'll be coming out uh, in anticipation of Banned Books Week. I might drop this one uh, before that one, just to get it out there and uh, get the conversation <laughs> going. As always. Uh, if, if you haven't resubscribed to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're resubscribing, we had that uh, server shift over. Um, please do resubscribe while you're there. Give us a nice review that uh, helps other people find us. And uh, by all means, please join the Facebook uh, page. Uh, we have Increasingly interesting conversations on that Facebook page, and if you Mm. want to talk back to anything we had to say here today, add to it, push back against Um, us—that's the kind of thing we love. So, uh, thanks again, uh, Nathan, for joining us, and thanks for uh, listening for this uh, special one-hour episode of the (laughs) Sectarian Review Podcast, which is a short one. It's a short one. All right.